Thanks so much for joining the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us as we explore what is darkness to light. Easter is a time of renewal and rebirth where we reflect on the teachings of Jesus and the ultimate act of love that he showed us on the cross. Through his resurrection, we are given the gift of eternal life and the promise of forgiveness. We pray this message brings hope, redemption, and faith. So let it be today, we shout the hymn of heaven. With angels and the saints, we we raise a mighty roar. Glory to our God, who gave us life beyond the grave. Friends, that is who we are today. We're a life beyond the grave kind of people. And the reason we can celebrate being that today is because that is who he is, our God, a life beyond the grave kind of God. Friends, it's our reason for rejoicing. It's our cause for celebration. Paul words it really well in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19. And he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life, We have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. If God was anything less than a life beyond the grave kind of God, then we would be a lost beyond hope kind of people. But this is what Paul goes on to say in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Friends, we have hope today. We have reason for rejoicing today. We have reason for celebrating today. I'm so glad to be here. Good morning, church family. If you haven't met me before, my name is David Scambry. I get the joy of being one of the pastors here. And I'm just so excited to be joined by so many people who have come to celebrate what Jesus did, how he resurrected from the dead as we celebrate Easter 2023 together today. And so today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking through the scriptures that Katie, thank you so much for reading, by the way, that Katie read so wonderfully well for us. And we're going to be searching and asking a question and hopefully answering it. Is the resurrection, does it matter for me today? And if so, why? How? But before we do that, would you join with me in prayer? Lord God, that you are present in this room that you are present in this room in your spirit, overflowing with love, with kindness. That holy God, we have no cause in this room at all to doubt the fact that you are intimately involved in restoring, resurrecting, renewing life in this room this morning. I pray, my God, may we hear your spirit. May you speak loudly and boldly and may you do wonderful and beautiful things. May you fill this room. May your words fill this room. May your scripture encourage our hearts. And may we find our hope in no other name but the name of Jesus. Jesus, because of you, we are saved. And we praise you and we pray this prayer in your mighty name. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever told someone something, you know, about 40 times? And then, you know, you just keep telling them. And then, you know, that thing happens and you see them have the audacity to be shocked 
like nobody ever told them. Anybody can relate. I don't know. Maybe you're a parent in the room and you've been telling your kids to brush their teeth every single night and now you're at the dentist and you're like, I told you, stop eating sugar, brush your teeth. You're going to teeth are going to fall out. Or, or maybe you're a husband or a wife. You have an event coming up. You need to get an outfit organized. You know, I don't know if anyone's ever had that kind of situation before. And you're like, man, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Then the day comes and they're like, oh my gosh, I have no time. I wish someone had told me. And you know, <laughs> you're in the room rolling your eyes. The reason... The reason I say that is because uh, I actually want to firsthand apologize on behalf of all the people uh, that don't listen to you when you speak. Um, <laughs> I, am, I am terrible, terrible uh, at being told things uh, without experiencing them. So someone will say to me, you know, do this, do this. Or if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And I'll go, yeah, sure, cool, 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 cool. Let me give an example. When I first became a Christian, I uh, got invited to a course called CAP. It's Christians Against Poverty. It's this, um, I don't know how long, it's, it's a short course that explains some good financial habits. And I'm sitting there, and you know, week one, uh, they're talking about good financial stuff. I don't really remember it. But one thing I remember is, they, is that they said, budget. And I went, oh, that's pretty simple, but okay. Week two comes around, they're talking about all their good advice, and they bring up budgeting again. Week three comes around, more good advice, but budgeting comes up again. And I'm like, wow, they don't have much content. They keep coming back to budgeting a lot, don't they? Anyway, a few years later, I'm in, I'm in Bible college, studying my bachelor's full-time. I'm, I'm serving at a local church two to three days. And then I'm like, wow, I need money. You know, so I'm working with all my spare time to try and get income, but I am drowning in like bills, you know, uh, like got to get my hair cut, do I really, I don't know, you know, I've, I've got perpetual to put in my car, I've got to pay rego, all of these ridiculous things that we shouldn't have to pay. And then, and, then, and then, you know, I'm just drowning. And I had this friend, an incredible friend of mine, and he used to sit with me and we would talk about Jesus and hope. And, and I remember he said to me, hey, how are you doing financially? And I was like, bro, I'm struggling. I am not doing well. And as we chatted, I remember saying to him, man, I actually remember I did this cap course years ago, and they brought up budgeting. And he was like, yes, do you have a budget? And I was like, oh, nah, I don't have a budget. What? No, anyway. Um, and, and so every time we caught up from then on, he would always say, how are you doing financially? I would say, I'm drowning. And he would go, have you made a budget yet? And I would go, I don't think writing down why I'm drowning is going to help much. You know? Anyway, one day he got... One day, he just got so sick of it. He was so patient. He got so sick of it. He said to me, bro, I don't want to hang with you again until you make a budget, okay? So next time we hang, you better have made it. And so a week goes by, and then another week goes by. And then on this like third week, I'm like, oh, oh I really should make a budget. Otherwise, this guy is going to call me up and fly kick me to the face. And so I sit down, and I start writing down all my expenses. And I just I remember sitting there. I was just writing it down. And I was like, why does he think this helps? I am more stressed now writing my bills down than I was ever before. Now I realize how little money I have. And then as, as I got to the end of writing them down, this thought just crossed my mind that perhaps someone else in the room may have had before too, which is that you don't actually pay your rego every paycheck. Um, you don't pay your electricity bill every paycheck. In fact, I should probably just divide them by my paychecks and put that money aside week by week, and then perhaps it's not quite as overwhelming. I know, really simple advice. Um, but what it did for me, what it did for me was in that moment, I was floored. It was like the first time in my adult life that I didn't feel like I was drowning financially. And so I hung out with this friend again. We were chatting, and I was like, bro, I made a budget. And he just looked at me and was like, did it work? And I was like, I can't believe I didn't do it sooner. What the heck? And he, and he was like, yeah. Yeah. He was like, if you had just listened earlier, you could have felt this months ago. And I just wonder if, if Jesus kind of felt like that post-resurrection. Like my friend, just watching me struggle and struggle and struggle. And he's told me what I need to know, but I just didn't let it sink in. As Jesus watched his disciples react one by one, uh, slowly, doubtfully, 
begin to wrestle with the reality of the resurrection. That I want to tell you, Jesus foretold what would happen multiple times in Scripture. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 16, 21. It says this. From that time on, Jesus began, e.g., this was the first of many, to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Matthew 17, 22 to 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Matthew 20, 17 to 19. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. Uh, on the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, I want to point out, he wasn't in Jerusalem for long. This is like a week before everything happened. And so they're on the way to Jerusalem. He pulls them aside and he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. The disciples, they are plenty of warning. It's not like Jesus didn't tell them what he was doing and make it quite clear multiple times. But I'm going to be fair to the disciples because, well, that's the right thing to do. The, the, the disciples, this, this wasn't like, you know, trying to get your spouse ready for an event or your kids to brush their teeth. This wasn't even like some of the other miracles Jesus had, right? It's not even like quieting a storm or healing a terminally ill body or feeding thousands. See, what these guys were grappling with was a moment in human history quite unlike any other that has come before or will come again. They were grappling with a literal resurrection where Jesus rose from the dead and never died again. He didn't just raise from the dead, he conquered it. And when faced with this, in Luke 24, 11, it says, when the woman came and told them, it says, they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Their words seem to them like nonsense. Because say it all you will in advance, when faced with the reality of a resurrection, it's so out of the scope of normalcy for any ordinary life. How could we ever truly and deeply convert the prophetic words of Jesus to a lived expectation? And I think in this room we can relate too. I really think we can, because we're not that different. We hear of Jesus dying. We hear of Jesus coming back to life, and it's so shocking, it's so huge, that the only way we know how to face the enormity of it is either to minimize it, dismiss it, or at times even just fully ignore it. Because what the moment we're talking about is, is nothing short of a literal resurrection. A dead person, God a man, in a tomb, dead. The final breath expelled, the last beat of his heart beaten, the warm touch of his skin waned to coolness. He is dead. And then, boom, he comes back to life. 
It's remarkable. The phrase resurrection, it's not a tagline. It's not an analogy. It's not a metaphorical hope brought to help us face difficult situations. The Bible is not giving us colorful poetry. It's talking about a resurrection. This is life triumphantly returning to a dead body. This is a deceased soul once again tethering itself to life. This is nothing short of the greatest miracle in all of human history. It is the miracle that answers the deepest fear and greatest longings of the human heart. It is the final opposition, the last great threat, the last unmoved obstacle in the coming of God's kingdom in Christ. And now that obstacle wasn't just moved. Friends, that obstacle was defeated once and for all, forever, never to be changed. This is why N.T. Wright describes the resurrection this way. He says the resurrection is not just important to Christianity. Without it, there would be no Christianity. It's not just something we do. It's not just something Christians have. It is central to everything Christianity is. And so, of course, we respond with shock. It's no wonder the disciples describe the idea as sounding like nonsense. It's no wonder why today we minimize, squash, or pass over it, because it's so immensely important. Of course it leaves us shocked. Death vanquished by the sheer overwhelming power of light and life in Christ. Friends, this is humongous. This resurrection is no motivator for oohs and ahs. It's not a pretty quote or a motivational beckons to face your trials. Friends, N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, the resurrection is the ultimate victory, the ultimate victory over death and sin and evil. It is the beginning of a new creation, a new era, and a new life. Do you sense the newness today? Did you get up this morning having mourned on Good Friday and tasted the incomparable wonder of what it is that today we celebrate that we are a resurrection people, that today we actually stand in synchronicity with the God of the universe who conquered death? To respond to this news with anything less than sheer shock, and I'm just going to say it, and then abandoned rejoicing, is actually just to recognize the need our hearts have to sit before God in desperation and say, Lord, I need you to open my heart and my mind to see and have revealed to me the awe-inspiring wonder of what it is that Christ was resurrected. Because just like it did in the early church, it will do it again. When the resurrection sinks into the hearts of human beings, it leaves nothing unchanged. It changes everything. It renews everything. Friends, where we find our insecurities today, rewritten. Where we find our fears most deeply embedded, destroyed. Our hopes, our sources of safety, our sense of self-worth, every single thing that we are in this life, touched and transformed by the reality that when Christ faced death, Christ won. You know, when I wrote this message, this is actually what happened for me. I started writing down the uh, resurrection. I was reading the scriptures, and I was thinking, man, I don't know what to write. I've heard this story quite a few times, you know. Like, where do I start? And I, I, I remember sitting there, and something clicked in my brain, and I went, what am I doing? This story? When did this become a dusty old story to me? 
When did this just become something I had heard so many times? It had become normal, so much so that I dismiss it and don't even let my heart appreciate the, mag- the enormity of it. I'll tell you what, I went to my bedroom, I closed the door, I went to my knees, and I said, God, I need help. Lord, I need you to intervene here. I can't convince myself of the enormity of the resurrection. I can't change my heart. I can't fix myself. But God, I know your love. And I know you want me to know the power and the beauty of the resurrection. And I just prayed. And I'm telling you guys, he moved. And he didn't move because I'm special. He moved because he moves. Because it's what God does. When we invite him into our hearts and say, open our minds, open our souls, help us to see and understand the reality of the greatness of your work and what you did on that cross. It is literally something the Holy Spirit promised to do, is continue to reveal and make known to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I wonder if in this room today, has this just become a story for you? Do you come to Easter, eat some chocolate, go to church, and think, wow, that's nice. That feels good. Frederick Bruner, uh, when he describes the resurrection, he says, the resurrection gives us hope that the worst thing is never the last thing. When this reality hits us for real, it changes how we perceive even the worst things that come our way. And the problem is, this doesn't happen if it's just a story. It doesn't change the way we interpret life if it's just a dusty old story, a dusty old kids' church narrative that we've just heard our whole life and and, and it's just kind of sat there. The way this changes our life is by us getting desperate that it would truly and deeply sink into our hearts. No more do we fly through the life we live on Christian autopilot. No more. Today we face the reality of the resurrection moment. Today we face it. Why? Because it's worth it. Because today's the day to do it. Let's not waste this moment. How do we face it? First, we do it through desperate prayers. Friends, it works. I can tell you that firsthand. Desperate prayers work. Second, we praise, we worship, and we rejoice because our God considered suffering for us, facing death itself and carrying our sin as something worth doing out of love for us, right? And so we praise, we rejoice, we worship, whether we feel like doing it or not, because it's worth rejoicing over. And finally, we take the time to intentionally act and reflect uh, and force our hearts and minds to chew and meditate on the weight of the resurrection. It takes a work, guys, but it is worth it. So perhaps you're sitting there, you're in agreement, you, you know, you're hearing this beckons to let truth hit in a fresh way, you're like, man, I would love to, it's a literal resurrection, I get the facts, it changes everything, death is defeated, okay, but help, right, help, help me understand how and why this really matters to me today, because I'm just sitting here, and I don't know how to engage. You know, there are so many reasons through the Bible why the resurrection is considered so important, so vital, so central to what it is to be a Christian. Uh, If we just look at the um, angelic announcement that was read before, we see at least three huge implications of the resurrection for us. How about you turn to Luke 24, 1 to 7. It'll be on the screen behind me, and we read together. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went back to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, 
Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So what does this angelic announcement of Christ's resurrection reveal about the importance of the resurrection for us today? Three things. First, Jesus' resurrection reveals where we find life. Second, Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we're trusting the right guy. That's a good thing to know. Third thing, Jesus' resurrection completes, e.g. finishes, e.g. concludes his entire work of salvation for all of us forever. Three things. Let's get into them. First one, Jesus' resurrection reveals where we find life. The angels come and they open with this line, why do you look for the living among the dead? I just want to point out, how unpastoral I think that is, personally, okay? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna shame the angels for a minute. I don't know if they can zap me, please don't. I'm joking. Um, the, the, I just think that's a crazy thing to start with. These two women, they've come to the tomb. Their friend, their Messiah, their hope, someone they loved and loved them, dead. And they've prepared these spice mix and they've gone to the tomb and the body's missing. And you could just imagine what they'd be feeling, fretting, frantic. They knew the enemies Jesus had. That You could only imagine what would be going through their minds. And here he opens with this line, Why do you look for the living among the dead? As though they were expected to know something. As though they were supposed to be in tune with the fact that, the, that a guy who had died was no longer dead. As though that was supposed to be normal. But here's what was actually happening. They opened the dialogue with the two women by setting a new standard, by setting a new tone. Not just for these two women, but that these two women would share it with the disciples, that the disciples would share it with the early church, that the early church would share it with all who would come, that today we have scriptures where we open our Bible and we read this line, because this is a line that's meant to change the way we approach our life. It is rewriting the the narrative on where we find life. Because, friends, we're all looking for life. Every one of us, we're looking for value, meaning, hope, security. We're looking for more hours and more minutes. We're looking for health. We're looking for someone and something that tells us that this life I live is worth living. But my fear is, and my question is, are we accidentally searching for this life in gravestones, in tombstones, in places dead people dwell? Why are we looking for the living among the dead? And the way we answer this is, where is your most important source of life? Is it Christ's relationship with you? The only one who brings life? Or is it something else? Search anywhere else and you'll waste your life. It's true. You'll waste your life. You'll waste your hours. You'll waste your days. You'll waste your minutes. When this very day, today, you could truly and deeply find peace for your soul, rest for your striving heart, confidence when life throws curveballs, confidence when your business takes a downturn. Rest when your health slips out from under you. Peace when friends have become too busy for you. Hope when your emotions just don't seem to be okay for a season. 
Friends, if you're looking for life in any place other than Christ, you're searching a tombstone. But when we get our life from Christ, all of these other things are infused with life also. And suddenly, how much we have, our health and our popularity and even our emotions, they can no longer dominate our lives. Instead, we're filled with life, his life, and all of these areas fall into the hands of our good, loving, and life-bringing God. The resurrection reveals and it reminds us that there is true life, but there is only one source of it. Jesus' resurrection reveals where we find that life. Number two, Jesus' resurrection guarantees we're trusting the right guy. The angels continue what they're doing by saying, hey, he is not here, he has risen. And I, I just, this might seem obvious to a lot of you, but I want to point it out. P- people don't just die traumatically for like three days and then just like up and chipper one day, you know, roll around in life, healthy as ever, resurrect. Like, I don't know if you know that. That's not normal. That's not what we should be expecting the story to go to, right? And it isn't normal because the he the angels are talking about isn't just another Joe Blow, another normal human being. This he is Jesus. And, and it's in fact the very act of resurrection that affirms more deeply and more permanently than any other the unique significance of who Jesus is. Because you've got to realize, he described himself as something special, as something unique, as something powerful. And I've got to say, with the scripture I'm about to read, if he didn't resurrect, the scripture could never be more than a tagline. You see, in John 11, 25 to 26, it says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe that? That that is a great tagline. Great tagline. Sounds fantastic if a guy said it died and never resurrected. But when you add a literal resurrection to it, that tagline becomes a foundation of hope. It becomes a basis for us to face everything in our life and know there is a real promise from a conquering God that victory is here. Because Jesus did literally die and our hope is found in a savior that John 1.5 says that when he died, that when he died, the darkness could not overcome him. Another translation says the darkness couldn't even comprehend him. Couldn't even comprehend him. So when Jesus and death went toe-to-toe, Jesus triumphed. When death, Hades, Satan, the spiritual forces of evil, and our sin had thrown all they could at Jesus, Jesus still stood. And when there was nothing left, any opposition had to throw at him. And when he had absorbed and overcome it all, God rose him from the dead in triumph. E.g. victory. E.g. nothing left to do. He has been crowned the winner. No one can pull that down. And in this movement, Christ proved his ultimate lordship over life itself and proved that the kind of life that Christ brings bears a greater power than even death itself. Nothing can trump, squash, vanquish, kill, dwindle, or wither. The light of life that Jesus brings to anyone and to everyone who will receive it. This is our hope. This is our truth. This is our celebration. Friends, if you ever doubt that Jesus has the power to save, look to the resurrection. Take the time in your life to pause. When that niggling doubt, that lie of Satan hits your heart, we remember the resurrection. Because it's here that we know for certain that he has all authority, all power. He truly is our Messiah, our Savior, our God, and everything else he claimed to be. 
Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we are trusting the right guy. Number three, Jesus' resurrection completes, finishes, concludes, concludes his work for salvation for all of us forever. Guys, the the angels finish this off by reminding uh, these women of Jesus' pre-prophesied game plan, right? So he finishes off by reminding how Jesus said, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And throughout his ministry, we've already covered it. He highlights this plan over and over and over again. He never deviates. He never adds more. Three steps. This is the work that must be done to accomplish what he came to do. These three steps are what he needs to do to see his mission done. What is his mission? His mission, he he confirms, is that the kingdom of God has drawn close and that we in this room today, we... Ordinary human beings, you and I, in this room today, with all of our brokenness, with all of our flaws, with all of our insecurities, we can step into the throne room of God, see him as a father with boldness and rejoicing, and feel the joy of his Holy Spirit filling us, and know that we get forever to spend with him. Friends, this is good, good, good news. This is what he came to do. Three steps. Get turned on, betrayed, and fall to the mercy of sinful people you come to save be crucified, and after dying, be resurrected, be raised again. You know, the first two we focused on on Friday, and if you didn't get a chance to hear the sermon, uh, jump on the podcast, listen to it. It was phenomenal. But now we wake up on Easter Sunday, and the third one is completed. Christ has completed the entire plan that he promised he would do. His work is finished. There is nothing more to add. In other words, if you're ever unsure if the cross still applies, if his work is done, If you can be saved, look no further than the resurrection. When you feel that doubt that maybe it's not enough for you, hear this, the only way to undo his work is for him to unresurrect. And seeing as that's not a word and it doesn't really make sense, I think we can be pretty confident that the resurrection of Christ stands as our guarantee. Day by day, hour by hour, failure by failure, brokenness by brokenness, that the work of Christ was sufficient it is completed and will never be changeable. Romans 6, 3 to 5. Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Hallelujah. My fear today, friends, is that we would be a resurrection people who are still living terrified of death. My fear is that we would be a people that have been saved. His resurrection has become true for us, and yet we live our lives as though any minute, any slip up, any wrong act would thrust us back into death again. And so we continuously tread on eggshells, afraid to act, because we are terrified of death, though death has truly and fully been defeated for us. My fear is that we would be a resurrection people still terrified of death. If you ever fear more might need be done, if you ever fear the cross wasn't enough, remember the resurrection because him raising means your sin, your transgression, your iniquity, your failures, your brokenness, your inadequacy. It has, past tense, been dealt with. And we're just on the journey to see how he reveals that. So first, Jesus' resurrection reveals where we find life. Second, Jesus' resurrection guarantees we're trusting the right guy. Third, Jesus' resurrection completes his work of salvation for us all forever. 
The resurrection of Jesus, it transforms lives today. It's relevant to our lives today. And when we let it hit our hearts, I mean, I mean, think about it. This is just three observations from one sentence. Go to Peter's writings. Go to Paul's writings. This is not like a small, dusty old story. There is a lifetime of revelation awaiting us. This is a life-changing reality that we get to enjoy today, tomorrow, the day after, every day for our whole lives. I love how we read this verse before. Um, and it was in Matthew 17, 22 to 23. And he describes how he's coming. He will face struggle. He will die. He will resurrect. And it says, after he told what would happen, the disciples were filled, filled with grief. The disciples were emotionally moved. They were filled with grief. The news that Jesus would die and be raised again, it deeply impacted them for a moment. And, and then the moment passed. And the day that this was fulfilled came and the emotion was forgotten. The promise, fully forgotten. And what that tells us is that Jesus wasn't trying to mandate the disciples' emotions. His goal is is never to convince us that we ought to feel a certain thing, feel a certain way. I mean, the disciples, they, they passed the test. They felt all the right things in the moment. And yet we see it wasn't right. They never truly let the promise of what Jesus said and all that it meant, what it actually means, sink deep into their hearts. And what I wonder is whether we in this room will be shocked on the day of resurrection. I wonder whether our instinctual response, like the disciples on the day of resurrection, will be, wow, this seems like nonsense. Will we be filled with grief on Good Friday, celebration on Easter Sunday, and yet utterly shocked when it all winds up being true? A truth like, like me with the budget, you know, today, this very day, we could all be living a depth of life in, found nowhere else. In Jesus, because he raised again, we are a resurrected people. His life is true. It's deep. It's renewing in this community, in this room, in our hearts today. Will you open your heart? Will you? Will you turn to him today? Will you refuse the urge to settle for meager emotions and instead implore, fight, go to war for this to sink deep into the very fibers of our beings? In a moment, we're going to respond with worship. But I wonder if that worship could be more than just declaring empty praise, but it could be space, a moment for our hearts, our hearts to truly begin to grapple, to swallow, to absorb the immense wonder of the resurrection, that even today we could leave with just a millimeter more revelation of the wonder of it. And we could know going forward that every day for our lives, we will be tasting more and more and more and more of how deeply transformative the promise of death conquered truly, truly is. Because the resurrection of Jesus, it's not a nice tagline. It's not a dusty old story. It's not just a cause for a chocolatey holiday. It's not just a nice metaphor for hope in hard days. The resurrection of Jesus, it's death overcome for real, for each of us, come what may, forevermore. Would you taste it today? Would you taste it today? Would you let it sink deep? Would you join with me in prayer? Holy God, I thank you that in all your mercy and in all your kindness and in all your love, You saw suffering on that cross. Facing death and the darkness of it. 
You saw all the wounds, sins, and brokenness of humanity raised upon your shoulders. You felt the wrath and the evil of all the opposition of your good, good heart. And when there was nothing more that any darkness had to throw at you, you still stood because nothing's going to tumble you. Nothing's going to take you out. You are God. You have all the power. You have all the life. We just praise you today. We just praise you today, God. Father, that you really are the source of life. That Jesus, you are the one we can trust. We really can trust you today. And that you have finished and completed that good work you started. That it is done. We are forgiven. You've drawn us deeply and closely back into intimacy with our God, our Father. We're restored. You may be in this room, you'd never heard the gospel properly. Or maybe you'd heard it a thousand times, but something triggered differently today. And I wonder with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed, with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed, I wonder if today this gospel is touching your heart in a fresh way. And I'm just going to count to three. And if you feel moved by this gospel to make a decision to say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus for the first time, or I'm going to make a decision to come back to him having walked away, I would just love you with all eyes closed and heads bowed if you just raise your hand, just so that we know. I'm the only one looking. One. On Good Friday, Good Friday he gave everything. He suffered and suffered and suffered because he loved you. Two. On Easter Sunday, he conquered your death and he conquered your brokenness and he conquered your wounds and it can never be unconquered. He resurrected, it's finished. Three. And if today you want to make that decision to put your hope and your faith in the only source of life and the only one who saves, just raise your hand so I can see. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Lord God, I praise you for these salvations. I praise you that you're drawing people back to you. I praise you that you are stirring in hearts right now and you're welcoming people to turn their eyes back to you and fall more in love with who you are. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're at work. God, I, I just pray that in your power and by your mighty name, new life would fill everyone who put their hand up. Resurrection would become reality for this room that it would become normal, but not because we've minimized, but because we can't stop seeing it, because you're so present and you're so working. And God, I pray for the believers in this room. I pray for everyone in this room who the resurrection has become a dusty old story. My Lord, may you pierce that hard heart in the name of Jesus. And may true and deep life fall afresh. May the resurrection start a transformation in this community. May we see renewal in these hearts. God, may you start with me. We love you. Jesus, we thank you that you paid it all. And in your mighty and powerful name we pray. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page.